On this episode of Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered, we talk about the luxury real estate market, how to market a $139 million listing, what it's like to be on a reality TV show, how luxury real estate really operates. It's gonna be incredible, tune in. You talk about it privately, we talk about it publicly. This is the Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered Podcast. Welcome again to the Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, James Wiggins, along with my co-host, Keith Robinson, AKA Crazy Uncle Keith. We have John Grauman, the principal and uh, of the Grauman Rosenfeld Group with the agency, a uh, yes, really high-end luxury firm out of Southern California. Keith, tell us about John. Uh, John is great. You are going to love this conversation. He unpacked for us a little bit on what it's like to be on a reality TV show on Netflix. He's on the Netflix show. Yep. 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 So he unpacked that a bit. And my favorite part, my thematic favorite part is this is he really demystified what it means to be a luxury agent. He got tactical with us. He told us what he'd do tomorrow if he was if he was teleported into a new city and starting to launch a luxury real estate career, what he would do tomorrow. Uh, he really demystified and made it simple, uh, not easy, but not complex as what it took takes to be successful. Which and the, how you market a $139 million listing. Word. <laughs> Yes. Yes. And the answer is a lot, but a lot. He'll, he'll unpack that. <laughs> Let's go. Let's get it. John, welcome to the show. We are super excited to have you here. Uh, full disclaimer, I've known John for a long time. Uh -oh. uh, and yeah, there's stories, but we're there's not going to go stories. deep into There's definitely stories there. Um, but let's start out, John, just tell them a little bit about your background real quick and just sort of where you started and how you became one of the top luxury agents in the United States? Uh, so yeah, this is my 20th year in the business. Um, I actually started as a mortgage broker, um, somewhat of an accident at that. That wasn't my intention, but I kind of slipped and fell into it. Um, I did that for about seven or eight years, wrote it all the way through the mortgage crisis of 2008, nine, and 10. That was fun um, times. Those were good yeah, times. <laughs> was, for, for those of you that were around then and were doing real estate then, being a mortgage broker in the middle of the global mortgage crisis was kind of like having a front row seat for the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> that is an apt That's description. Yeah, yeah, that is an apt yeah. description. And I, I just, you know, 2011 came around. I kind of reached that sort of pivotal moment of that, you know, that's it. Not another minute, not another moment, not another second. I'm done. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I switched to the other side of the aisle, started selling real estate, I guess, what is about 12 years ago now, and just kind of worked my way up. You know, I certainly didn't start out with a bang, uh, quite the opposite. It took me a long time to build my business. And then there was just sort of a compound effect to that. Started to mm. slowly and gradually form a team over the last six, seven years, which has now become the largest team at the agency and one of the you know, predominant teams in the country. And, uh, you know, everything is just, is just compounding, you know, one year after the next. Yeah. That's awesome. People, I, I go ahead. Sorry, Keith. Yeah. I was going to say people dramatically <clears throat> overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10. Right. So it sounds yeah. like that's been a map for you. I've got a question I always like to ask when people come into the real estate industry. So as a, and you know, don't don't say anything to get yourself fired or anything crazy. But <laughs> as someone who was in the mortgage industry before, you probably had some preconceived notions about what doing real estate was like. Uh -huh. What were the biggest surprises as you transitioned into the real estate space, uh, where you were like, "Ah, oh, I didn't think it could be. Doesn't have to be something negative. It could be something positive, right?" But what were the biggest surprises as you transitioned from the mortgage world to the real estate world? God, that's a really good question. Um, I guess just how many swings you have to take before you hit the ball. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Interesting. That, like you have to be chasing so many leads, so many prospects. The way that I sort of think of it, and I'm just mm. sort of a visual thinker, is <laughs> you know when you go to like a big buffet brunch, like you go to a hotel on the weekend, I got the big buffet brunch. You I got feel like John is speaking specifically to me right he now. Is, yes, by the way, this yes, is directly sir. to you. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. do. I know exactly um, how that feels and I love and it. And you got the guy that's making the omelets, right? He's got like yeah. four or five omelets going at a time. He's got to make sure <laughs> this one doesn't burn. He's got to make yeah. sure he puts the ingredients in this one. Yeah. Like you're doing that in real estate across like 25 omelets at a time. You yeah. just have so many different leads. You're nurturing at different stages. You want to make sure you don't lose. You want to make mm. sure that you don't burn. You want to make sure you don't this. So I would say the multitasking component and just the batting average, yeah. right? The batting percentage of like, look, you, as the baseball saying goes, you could bat 300 for your career and still go to the Hall of Fame. Right. Really, it's not that different, right? Mm. You don't hit the ball every time. So yeah. you know if you're if you're hitting the ball three out of ten times, it's a pretty damn good career. But you have to be taking that many swings. You have to have that many reps and that many opportunities. That's a great that's a great answer. Well, way. we're going to really dig great. into this a lot because we have a lot of questions we want to ask you. But I do want to start with our rapid fire because it's just it's kind of fun and just tells a little about who you are. So first one, and then Keith will ask the second. If you were a superhero, who would it be and why? I'd probably have to go with Iron Man. Yes. Ah, he always wins. Why? He does. You just he want to be a billionaire playboy? Stark's life just looks pretty fucking awesome. It I mean, really yeah. does. Yeah. yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> guy's got a pigeon pad out in Malibu. And, yeah. you know, I, yeah. Tony Stark, yeah. I would say, it's I think Iron Man is just kind of the bonus. I just want to be Tony Stark. <laughs> I don't need to be a. Yeah. There's that. So what's interesting is Iron Man gets so much run. Batman, zero, right? Yeah. Same dude. One's a little, I guess, grumpy. The other one's a little more flippant. But he yeah, also, same you know, Bruce Wayne has a, a really twisted path. Past. That's true. Like, fair. He did not have a good childhood. I don't know that I want that. Orphan. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair, fair. fair. That's great. Fair. All right, I'll Can you guess the next what one. Keith's is real quick based upon what's over his right shoulder? Yeah. The Hulk? Yes. yes. <laughs> because I'm smart. I'm smart like Bruce Banner, but I like to smash things like the Hulk. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's what I like to roll with. All right. Second All right. question. Your favorite book, Audible, or podcast that you've listened to this year or recently, last couple of years, and why? I would say book, probably Atomic Habits. Great one. Yeah, it's really good for those. Look, I think so much of what everyone needs to be doing right now is repositioning and reprioritizing and reassessing you know, where your time is spent and what the ROI is on that time. And Atomic Habits gives you a really simple roadmap to how to develop habits for people, frankly, like myself that, you know, are successful, but don't have the greatest habits. I'm not the most structured. I'm not the most organized. And it really kind of lays it out in somewhat of a dummy proof way. Yeah. The the biggest one that I found that most around habits, a lot of people have written books on the science of habit. They Mm -hmm. haven't written books on how like step by step to change habits. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was the biggest aha I got from atomic habits. All right, James, hit him with the last one. Yeah, so if you could have lunch with one person, current or historical, who would it be and why? That's always a tough one. Um, I- I'm going to go with something that maybe is not as interesting, but would be most impactful to me now. I'm going to say Tony Robbins. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan. That was a pivotal point in my life. Mm, yeah. It really changed my life in a massive way. And, and to be able to sit down and have you know lunch with him, I think would just have such a gigantic impact on my life. Yeah. You did the firewalk thing, right? I've done the firewalk thing twice. Twice. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
just watching a documentary on that. We can talk and I, about and that. Took, and one year, and this is just a nice little note for people, um, when I had a smaller team, uh, for everyone on my team's holiday present, I bought everyone a ticket to Unleash the Power Within. We all went together. Mm. It was an amazing team building team event. Building. We all walked on fire together. It was incredible. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. It's a good way to build culture. Yeah. All right. So let's dive in. We have we have only so much time and we want to pick your brain a lot. Uh, so and this is actually it's kind of a it's a serious question kind of intermixed. But so you are on the Netflix TV show uh, Buying Beverly Hills. Um, and so I, I think it's, you know, when people they don't understand television and certainly I don't either. But like, how does that affect your career? Does it does it help? Does it change things? Does it does it make you a target? Like, what do is? Do you get a lot of haters? Do you get a lot of haters? Like, what you is get that? Haters? Yeah, uh, come on, you got to get some haters. Honestly, yeah. all of the above for sure. Yeah. Haters are gonna hate, no question, <laughs> yeah. right? You're just yeah. giving them, you're just giving them a new reason to. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of the impact, you know, look, my feeling is if you, you do anything only once, it's just a flash in the pan. Yeah. You have to do something with consistency and repetition for it to have any impact. The same as farming. Right, you send out one flyer; it's not going to make any impact. You have to do it consistently over time. The difference in today's world versus, say, ten years ago with Million Dollar Listing is that Million Dollar Listing at the time was, first of all, the only real estate mm. reality show of its kind. There was no other competition. <clears throat> right now, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of digital pollution you have to compete against, mm-hmm. and it was prior to streaming. Right, so people that watched that show mm. watched it with such. Um, they were deliberate in the way they watched it, meaning they, you know, it they required a commitment, at 7 right? O'clock, they yeah. would set their DVR and they would yeah. invite those characters into their home, right? I have people come up to me all the time and they're like, oh, I love your show. I binge watched it in a day. And it's like, mm. thank you. Yeah. I wish you wouldn't have because it would have been a lot more impactful had you actually stretched <laughs> out over several weeks. Um, so, you know, look, we just finished filming season two. That's going to come out Q1 of next year. I think season two is going to be bigger. It's going to be better. There's a bigger cast. There's a bigger budget. We took trips. I just think that we need to have multiple seasons for it to have, really have an impact. But the, the best impact that it had for me was, or rather maybe the best compliment that I got following the show is, you know, a lot of people came up to me and they said, you know, he was the funny one. She was the pretty one. You're the one I would hire. Mm. I was like, that's okay. That's what I was going for. Cause I don't, to me, it's about increasing my visibility so that I can sell more houses. I'm in the business of selling houses. That's what I do. Right. So I have one question on this and this will be, and I'm just, you know, we've known each other a while. Do you find that in, is there any scenario where you think some of this, some of these TV shows have gone too far where the agent's literally talking shit about their client on television, like that that's a bad impression on the industry? I know I'm asking you a real, this was off script. I'm asking you a very no, serious question here. Uh, yeah. No, I, the, the short answer is yes, but not to that question. Okay. I think mm-hmm. where it's gone wrong, horribly wrong, is that it has sort of sensationalized and glamorized a business that's really fucking hard. Yeah. 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 Right? It's a really tough business right. and it makes it look as though, you know, we do every deal in a matter of seconds on speakerphone and right. yeah. to this price. And, and your smoking jacket, job. right? Yeah. You're like you're sitting in your, in your right. penthouse in your smoking jacket, closing deals, right? right. And look, you know, television producers have a job to do and they understand what, you know, attracts people's attention and people's interests. So when you put, you know, a certain list price and then you immediately put what the commission is which by the way we never take the full commission right you're always giving credits and concessions <laughs> yeah, and your yeah. kick up to the house and so forth but regardless that's where i think reality tv has hurt the industry is that it's I, you, we have more younger people coming into the industry ever before that's fine but mm-hmm. i think it's largely in part due to what they're seeing on television which is largely fabricated at least yeah. on some of the other shows was there anything 
from having that experience of being on a reality TV show that you change personally or professionally where you're like, Oh, that was, I learned something about myself or my business from that experience of being on it. <laughs> I think that'd be a better question for me to answer after I see what season two looks like. Okay. Season one, <laughs> right, cool, cool. We'll have you back. We'll have season you back. One I was pretty happy with, I really kind of felt like, you know, my role was accurately portrayed as the sort of the, the senior agent, the mentor, um, that, you know, kind of came in and like, you know, sprinkled some wisdom and dropped some knowledge and then bounced season two. I don't know. It's, I'm not sure how it's all going to come together. I'm excited Dang. to see it. Sounds um, like there could be fist fights on season two. You heard it here. Not first. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, but look, I think it's just important. It's, it's kind of cliche, but you just got to be authentic to yourself. Like they can't make you an asshole if you're not an asshole, yeah. right? James yeah. is an asshole. So clearly he would come off as an asshole. <laughs> It's true. Well, you guys yeah. have you guys have known each other. We for have a known long each time. other a long time. Yeah, uh, John. So you said this. How many years now you've been in real estate? It's my twentieth. Twentieth. Okay. So how do you how did you get into luxury real estate? Like talk about. I mean, a lot of people. You can either sell more houses or increase the price of the home you sell. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you move from you know sort of starting the bread and butter market like everybody else up to? I believe you have a hundred and thirty nine million dollar listing. I did, yeah. I had a $39 million listing. How do you uh, get to that? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a... That's I mean, a like, I know that's a very long question, but just like what is... Most people can't because they just don't have the chops for it. Like what does it mean to, to work with clientele like that? How do you get there? Sure. So uh, to your point, I certainly didn't start there. Um, when I started... Again, I was previously a mortgage broker. All my referrals had come from agents. So I certainly wasn't going to come into the other side of the business and then start taking from you know, sure. their clients. So I just had to build it from scratch. Mm. And I starved for the first year. I literally did not sell a house for the first year. And Sheesh. the first house I ever sold was a $550,000 house in North Hollywood, which, look, everything about luxury is obviously relative. In LA, that's a very low price point. I understand in other parts of the country, yeah. it's a very high price point. Yeah. Um, and for me... I just tried to follow any successes I had and double down on them. It was almost like watching sort of like water run down a hill, like whichever direction it was going in, I was chasing it. Um, so I had a couple of successes in the Hollywood Hills. It was like, okay, Hollywood Hills, here we come. I'm going to farm it. I'm going to, I'm going to door knock it. I'm going to work that area and just try to capitalize on that momentum. Um, but I also think that it comes from really understanding just how to communicate with people effectively, right? You, you, luxury real estate is hand-to-hand is -hand combat. You mm. can't spray and pray with the most affluent people in the world. It just doesn't work. So you have to really understand how to communicate with them effectively, how to speak their love language, so to speak, how to know when you need to give them space to pound their chest and be the big man in the room versus when, they, when you need to step in. And, and really not to be intimidated by those moments. You know, I always say, you know, your bank account may not be the, per may not be the same as the person you're sitting across from, but in that room, in that mm. moment, they need to see you as the expert and as the person that's in control. That's why you're there. Right. So I, I think it's just a different attitude and a different mindset. Are you networking like crazy to, to, I mean, are you intentionally being very intentional about putting yourself in places where affluent people are? Like, are you going to the parties when you're invited and you're, you know, you're networking and following up and that's why I never did luxury <laughs> I hate party. I, I will go to the opening of an envelope. I'll go anywhere. <laughs> anything. Like I, that's, any, that's good I, for me. That is a good look, one. And I'll take it. I'll take a line from Tony Robbins, who I just obviously acknowledged earlier. He always talks about how proximity is power. And it's mm. just one of like the truest. It's, it's one of the greatest fundamental truths. 
Proximity is power. So what are you doing to put yourself in proximity of the people you want to do business with? Where so do they just hang in, out? Who do so they hang out in, with? Just in case we have some listening, right? Who's like saying, like, man, I, you know, luxury, first of all, is a little like boxing smoke, right? Like you said before, luxury can mean a lot of different things. And then I guess yeah. there's super sure. luxury and ultra luxury. But if I just want to, how to, proximity is power. I, I believe that very strongly. So if I want to up my proximity, is it, is it as simple as Google searches for, you know, I don't know, museum grand open, like uh, joining a golf course or a social club and spending time there and, and calendaring it? Or like if if I was someone who was a good agent, I've been in the business for five or 10 years, I, I know my stuff, I'm good at it, but I'm in that sort of classic agent tranche. Mm-hmm. How, what would be the two or three like tactical things you would do tomorrow to level up? Let's say you moved to St. Louis, you didn't know anybody. What would you do? Yeah. What would you, what would John do? Yeah, Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think each market is different and you have to look at each one differently, but you, you, you already brought up some good ideas, right? Is it the country club? right? In that market, is that effective? Is that where people go to? Is it church, right? Or Mm. synagogue or whatever sort of, you know, is that where people go to? Where do the people that, you know, is it in the certain restaurant scene or whatnot that people of certain level of wealth and affluence in this market go to? And then who knows those people? Is it attorneys that know them? Mm -hmm. Is it um, business managers that know them, right? Because a, a warm referral is always going to be infinitely more valuable than a cold lead. Right. right. So it's anyone that can actually make an introduction and look, everyone inherently wants to work with those who they know, like, and trust. Right. And if that person is introduced by someone who you know, like, and trust, you have that endorsement and you're already a hundred steps ahead. Okay. So to me, it's a lot of just dot connecting. If I moved mm-hmm. to St. Louis tomorrow, I would start trying to make connections with people there and then just start kind of using that as a Choose web. The weave. Yeah, the web and go out. You know, what's interesting is that is no difference than working any other market in real estate. It's the same content. It's, it's the same. Everything's the same. And the, you're just working a different group of people who have, you know, access to a lot more capital. And I, I, you I know, do I think I, I think one difference and, and then John can tell us because he actually knows, but <laughs> but I. My guess is, my intuition is, is that the maturation cycle for those relationships is longer, though, right? That the much, much. So you, you're, this is a, you're not going to, you know, triple your sales price in six months. You're saying this is a long term plan. I'm going to go to these places, spend time in these spaces, and I may not see anything out of it for are you got 12, 18 months. Like I've got to really oh, be there. Sir. Yeah. 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 yeah you, you definitely have to sort of cement yourself there. Mm. And, um, you know, real estate to me is all about being top of mind, mm. right? So you have to constantly be in front of people because it's so easy for someone, even if they're not selling their own home, to think about their brother, sister, nephew, uncle, cousin, whomever's selling their house and just not think of you unless you're top of mind. So, you know, and, and the other part about real estate is everyone, I feel like it's a business everyone tries to overcomplicate when it's yeah. actually really simplistic. It's a really simple business. It's not yeah. rocket science. Yeah. And one of the other sort of fundamental truths is just, which again, you could apply to anything, I guess, is that success begets success. So if you get a listing in an area where you want to be selling more of, crush it. Double and triple mm. down. Don't put out, you know, six signs on the weekend, put out 16 signs on the weekend, right? Go to every single neighbor and door knock and talk to them about it. Like really double down those efforts. What percentage of your business on the luxury side? And, you know, if you, if you're willing to answer this is referral of somebody that is referring, you're meeting these luxury clientele because 
they're like, we used John and he was amazing. And yeah, most of it. I don't know that I have a percentage off the top of my head, but most of it, although, you know, we're on the attack right now as everybody should be. Right. Right. You can't just rest on your laurels in this market. You got to yeah. go out there and hunt. And that's where we are as we're out, you know, for me, I know that I'm at my best over food and wine. Mm-hmm. I just am. That's where I'm most natural. That's where I'm most comfortable. And that's where I can be most effective. So I'm doing lots and lots of lunches and dinners. But I always talk to uh, my agents about the notion that everyone has their own superpower. And you have to identify what, what yours is. So, for example, I have a couple agents on my team that are really good golfers. I mean, they can hit the ball. And I said, you need to get out on the course as much as possible because you'll get paired with some people that you would want to get a meeting with that you couldn't to save mm. your life. But if you can hit Smart. the ball, you immediately yeah. have their respect. Because yeah. yeah. there, there's a commonality you're connecting. There. Yeah, You're connected. It's a connection. It's a commonality. It's a rapport yeah. that you're building. That's your superpower. Yeah. Right? For yeah. me, like, I'm a big wine guy. So I can sit and talk with people. And fortunately, not every, but most rich people like wine. <laughs> yeah. It's just a common yeah. theme. Yeah. Yeah. It's I a hobby. Yeah. Wine with the best of them. Yeah. So how yeah. do you, last tactical one on this, but I just know that <clears throat> it's so aspirational for so many agents and even brokerages across mm-hmm. the industry. How do you balance being present and being thirsty, right? And, you know, not thirsty, <laughs> not thirsty for wine, but like thirsty for a bit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, you can't just show up and be a wallflower, but you also don't want to show up like a guy with a Mr. Pickle sign trying to get you to pull into the driveway, right? That so, shit works, Keith, by I, the way. I, probably not, probably <laughs> not at a wine tasting. Gets so, me every time. <laughs> how, do you, how do you balance not being a wallflower, but also not being thirsty at the same time? Uh, good question. I mean, look, there's probably nothing more repulsive or offensive in this business than somebody that has an agent that has commission breath. Yeah. So you, you never want to have that. Yeah. Um, but that's a t-shirt I'm now selling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we do need a merch um, store, by the way. We do. I, yeah. I, it's, it's hard, especially right now when people are really hungry, right? Yeah, sure. people are, like people are starving. It's, it's people are, are hurting, it's tough. you know, in, in business transaction volume in LA is down by about 45, nearly 50%. Um, the way I always try to look at it, both for myself and the way I try to frame it for our agents, is that this is this is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Yeah. And you have to focus on the long game. It is about being of service. It is about providing value because value is commensurate with trust. Value mm. is essentially a transference of trust. Mm. The more value you, you, you present to the situation, the more you're inherently going to make over a long period of time. So, you know, when I'm sitting down with like business managers and attorneys, one of the things I'm saying to them is, look, I want to be super clear. While it would be great if you had a client that wanted to buy or sell a house tomorrow, that's not what I'm looking for in this relationship. I just want to be a resource. I just want to be part of your team. And if that means that you have a client that needs to refinance, you need a referral for a mortgage broker, I'm the call. If that means that you have a client who's looking to refinance and they need a BPO that I make nothing on, I'm your guy. Mm-hmm. Right. I just want to be part of the team because the more I can be in touch with them, I'm just of the belief that the more people I can have conversations with real estate about, the more houses I sell. For yeah. sure. Period. Yeah. For so sure. That, that's my approach. Yeah. I think, and I'll maybe paraphrase what I heard you say is it's less about like just go for a thoughtful conversation. Right. Don't show up trying to win business, show up trying to have thoughtful conversations, make some love connections at, if you're at these networking events. And yeah, I hit it off with John, so I will follow up with John. Right. I don't 
I don't hit it off with James. I won't follow up with James, right? Or I may follow up with James. This a is not James is an asshole comment time, yeah. by the way. So, oh, well, yeah, there was I, a thread. There, there was a thematic part to this pod that I thought we could stand on. So. I, I think that there's two sort of um, outcomes or objectives you want to have in situations like that. The first and foremost, which Keith, you just touched on, is you just want to be likable. Yeah. It, it's really that simple. Charming, charismatic, likable. The second is you're going to have opportunities because I was, again, I was talking about this real estate is such a layup, right? You're not talking about someone, you're not talking to someone about like getting life insurance. Like everybody wants to talk about real estate. Everybody it's, wants to know where the market is, right? Yeah. yeah it's a layup. So mm -hmm. you're going to have a moment in that conversation. And the easiest way to tee up that moment for yourself is just by leaning into the law of reciprocation, right? Hey, how's it going? How's business? How's work for you? 99% chance they're going to reciprocate that same question back to you sure. when they're done. Answering, yeah. Right. That's just the, yeah. how people communicate and converse. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're going to have a moment. I always talk about how every moment is an interview, mm. whether you know it or not, mm. people are sizing you up They're They're analyzing how you hold yourself, how you carry yourself, your answers. You need to have those sort of answers that even if they're just sort of canned responses that you've practiced and rehearsed, they don't need, it can't sound scripted, but if you are liking and charming and charismatic, and then you're impressive in your, not in your knowledge, you're, you're winning that situation. And then, right. and then you move to the second phase, which is the, the follow-up game. Yeah. yeah. What are you doing yeah. with it? Okay. So you're in an opportunity, your, your foot's in the door. What are you doing with it? Well, that's a good segue to this question then that I want to ask. So what does a luxury listing presentation look like? I'm not, you know, like you're sitting down, you've worked this relationship. Yeah. They're like, Hey, I'm thinking about selling my home and it's a $20 million property in Beverly Hills. What does that look like? What are you presenting? How does it go? Like, it's not a, it's not a brochure and a yard sign. Like it's not, I mean, no. what is it? Where does it go? Are you talking about the listing presentation where yes. you're going after the listing? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Very different um, from situation to, to, to situation. I've had many listing appointments where I've never pulled out one piece of collateral. Mm. Not a not a listing because you were referred, and this was no because I'm not because that to me is such a secondary objective for the appointment. The primary objective is connection and rapport. Okay. Right? I just I want to make eye contact. I want them to feel comfort with me because we have connections and commonality. Yeah. So when I go into a listing appointment, one of the first things that I'm doing, first thing I'll do when I walk in is ask for a tour of the house. Right? Can you give me a tour of the house? I'd love to see what you love about it. Right? Yeah. No one knows your house better than you. Can I see it? Can I experience it through your eyes? Great. As I'm walking through the house, I'm looking for points of commonality, right? If they have a wine cellar, I'm going to talk about that, right? If they're a Lakers fan, I'm going to talk about that. I'm just looking for anything that I can use right, to, to establish some time. And again, even if they're not a Lakers fan, but they're the Boston Celtics fans, you know, then it's like, you're a Celtics fan. I got to yeah. go. I got to leave, right? Like, <laughs> right. Find ways to break the ice and mm. make people laugh as I, like mm. I just did. Yeah. yeah. So, and then when you sit down with them again, it's really just about, trying to establish that connection. Mm. Um, there will be a time where you talk about marketing and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. There'll be a time where you talk about price. I always push that to the end because you could sit with someone for an hour and you know, 95% of what you say goes in one ear and out the other, but you throw a number out there, they're going to mm. cling onto that for dear forever. life. Forever. It doesn't forever. resonate with what their expectation is. Mm -hmm. They may have just started tuning you out. So I always find a creative way. Like I've sat down with someone and I've been like, so what's it worth? I'd be like, Settle down. We're going to talk yeah. about that. I promise we'll get the price, but I never talked about price on the first date. So let me just yeah. ease my way into it. Right? Like I like a way to just like kick the can down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
we have created custom videos for several appointments where we'll send out our videographer in advance to mm. go shoot it. And that way, like we're coming, it's like, look, we already did this for you. Now, granted, we're not going to have maybe interior shots, but sure. we'll find a way to spin something up that just demonstrates effort and ability. Mm. This is what mm. we did without you even asking. We took the liberty of doing it and look how. So you're going in like, saying we've already done this shit basically like you're saying we're committed to you and you're spending money to do mm -hmm. that because obviously the upside is you know significant Huge. as well right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But yeah you're really you're trying to surprise and delight right with a regard like yeah. whatever you thought it would be i'm doing more yeah yeah of course look you obviously always want to you know over deliver and impress mm -hmm. and i also just try to manage expectations from the onset right i'm not in the business of making false promises I'm not in the business of un, you know over promising and under delivering do so you think some of that some of that collateral could stay in the i almost said briefcase which no one has anymore but collateral can stay wherever you transported it <laughs> to this house is it because selling a home at this price point is more optional versus required or is it just like at some point you do have to go over a listing presentation, uh, I mean, a listing agreement, right? Is that usually at a second meeting or via email and yeah. a Zoom? A lot of times or? it's just via email or with yeah. their attorney, you know, listing, yeah. uh, uh, listing contracts here are fairly boilerplate. Sure, sure. Um, but you bring up another interesting point, which is that, you know, it's more elective than it is mm -hmm. kind of, you know, for a lot of these people, this is a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh home. Right. So, you know, what you oftentimes look, I, I always say you can you can define a seller by their level of motivation. Mm -hmm. And in the luck space, what you oftentimes have is, you know, a seller that has a very high level of expectation mm. and a very low level of motivation. Mm. And those two opposing forces, frankly, can make for a very frustrating career. Sure. Um, you know, <laughs> sure. I had a twenty five million dollar listing here in Beverly Hills a few years ago. We'd been on the market for three years. Ooh. My client was an international guy, seldom ever actually here. I rarely ever had an, an audience with him face to face. And he was finally in town. And I knew that I had like, you know, like a 60 second elevator pitch. And I was mm. like, OK, I'm going to identify what my marks are. I'm going to hit my marks. And I'm going to make it irrefutable. And I did. I like I stuck the landing, nailed it. And I'm thinking like he can't come back with anything. There's nothing mm -hmm. to refute. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, the thing is, I don't really want to sell it. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, oh, fuck, fuck. Yeah. That well, would have been good to know three that. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have yeah. anything for that. I don't have right. anything. And you'd right. spend a ton of money and time and energy marketing this property and basically it's out the door. Yeah, but you know, it's uh, look with a twenty million dollars thing, or you, you get know, more two, listings. 20, and, yeah, two hundred thousand yeah. dollars thing. You should always yeah. be using that as an opportunity to get the next listing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But the comment I'm making here is there's a carrying cost when you're doing this, yeah. especially since it's going to take a lot longer than necessarily you know a more bread and butter market property. Maybe let's uh, yeah, let me drill down on that a little. So okay, we we talked about going on the listing presentation. Now you've won the listing. Um, how do you market that differently? Like uh, yeah, all of them question. should be exposed properly. Right. But yeah. you know, are you, are you hiring a, I don't know, a professional TV crew and a helicopter? <laughs> are you hosting parties and inviting yeah. like, you know, uh, influential people at the property and hosting a, a big old massive party? And like, are you paying for all that? Like, that's all just part of it. Like, how does yeah, that? Yeah. I mean, again, kind of yes to all the above sometimes in certain situations. Uh, video is obviously the primary medium. And, mm -hmm. you know, we do a really, really high quality video. Um, we'll also reach out to influencers to work directly with them to try to mm -hmm. reach larger audiences. Um, and fortunately, these kinds of, you know, big 
big glitzy properties uh, are, are, you know, there's no shortage of people that want to create content around them. Mm. We'll reach out to, you know, E! News or um, Access Hollywood or whomever to try to also get features, which doesn't always work because a lot of people want their privacy. Um, sometimes we'll do events that will curate to art collectors or business managers or whatever we think is appropriate. You know, if it's had a you know, 10 car garage, maybe we'll do something for car collectors. Interesting. So it's very sort of custom and curated. Um, but again, and you and guys you, said at the onset you, that like, we're going to have a real conversation. So let's have a real conversation. It's not to say that those things don't matter. They do. But at the end of the day, everything comes down to price. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, again, people try to overcomplicate this business yeah. all the time. It's yeah, I've about- been saying for years, there's one of three reasons a home won't sell, and it's price, price, or price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your, maybe do it on a percentage basis, because your average sales price obviously is going to be different than uh, than someone in, I don't know, Kansas or wherever else, but, uh, or express it any way you want to, but do you have a typical budget percentage or your, you know, how much are you, the reason that I'm asking, and this is a little leading, I think too many agents operate their business on like an almost 0% cost of goods sold right? Like Mm -hmm. they are trying to figure out how to, they're doing, I don't want to say the minimum, that's, that's perhaps unfair and unkind, but they aren't trying to figure out how to do the maximum, right? If, if so, my guess is your budget is, you're not looking at this as a marketing budget for this deal. You're looking at as a marketing budget for your team and for your personal brand and getting that out there is meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe just unpack, how is, the actual listing marketing different for luxury. And then if you have a rough idea or some way to box the cost or what you spend, that would be helpful too. Yeah. Um, again, each one is different and, mm-hmm. you know, fortunately somewhat, I guess print medium is kind of, I think sort of a dying one yeah. um, and was the most expensive. Right. So I'm, I sort of welcome news to me because we yeah, were magazines are out, stuff. right? <laughs> yeah. I was saying, I forge yeah. on these ads that was most, mostly just for the homeowner's ego. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really mm-hmm. doing much to drive traffic to it. Um, you know, look, it could be anywhere depending on whether we're doing an event and how elaborate the video is and so forth. It could be, you know, 10, $20,000 on a property very easily. Yeah. Um, but it's really more about understanding, like, what's the ROI on this? Where, you know, we can easily put a double page ad here or there, but is it going to get any kind of meaningful return on it? I do um, like what you said before that I want to reinforce. You really have a, a bespoke list you're trying to curate that fits the home, right? Yeah. 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 How do you, I'm going super tactical just because I know people are curious on these topics. So if it was, you would just, let's say it had a 10 car garage, like you said, you would just find local car clubs and throw a party at the house for local car clubs of a, you know, Ferrari club or uh, how would just take us into the mind, right? Uh, like, sure. Uh, some of that is through some proprietary software that we have here at the agency where, you know, we know people that have big car collections and, mm-hmm. and input their information and just see through, you know, one, two, three connections. How Interesting. So you're marketing to people. Okay. Makes sense. Like you yeah. have a database of people who are, they're car people and they would want a house with a 10 car garage. So yeah, the yeah, more bespoke okay. property, yeah. the more targeted right. we're getting in terms of knowing who's in the market and who mm-hmm. to reach out to. A lot of times it isn't targeting, you know, a audience it's targeting an individual, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's mm-hmm. knowing who's in the market and, you know, who's been looking and who may be offered on this. Like a lot of that is just, you know, sort of inside information that you only gain by 
just being in the space. Yeah. 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 Being in the game. Do you network with a lot of other agents? Is that like a big part of your business? Luxury agents? That's, I'm assuming, a massive part of your finding the buyer is they may have or know that person. Like, how does how does that work from not even just locally, nationally or internationally? I guess my question. No, that's a great point. And absolutely. The answer is absolutely. Um, Real estate's interesting because your competitors, your competitors are also your colleagues. And, you know, you can't forget the the latter part of that, that like, Mm -hmm. these are your colleagues, you don't, you're not gonna be able to operate and do the kind of business, you're not going to know about pockets, you're not going to be able to hopefully get your offer accepted in the face of three or four other offers, unless you have that relationship. And those relationships are invaluable. Mm -hmm. So I try, I probably need to do more of it. Um, it's very hard, you know, the older you get between like family time, time with your kids, time kids. with your clients, time with <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, there isn't enough time, but, but yes. even just looking at it always through the lens of cooperation, right? Like not competition, but co-op, like we have to cooperate. I heard that term cooperation. Yeah. So like return the phone call. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like it's it's OK, maybe a yeah. nuisance, but even just you, know, you don't have to go to every networking event or that sort of thing. But just treat your peers uh, with like they're it's cooperative. We compete. Sure. But we also cooperate on most, if not every transaction. So, yeah, yeah. let's treat it like that. Yeah. Well, here's here's a question. And then we got to get towards the end of the show here. And yep. Keith always wants to wrap the show with a with a question. But I want to ask this. I think it's relevant. So in the luxury space. Is, how how are interest rates affecting this space, it, if at all, depending upon price point? I mean, a lot of people just assume this is all cash. And, you know, yeah. third and fourth home are like, I don't give a shit about interest rates because I'm just going to buy and sell it cat, whatever. So, like, tell me, are you seeing a lot of effect on that? What What is affecting the luxury real estate market in your sense and even potentially over the next year or two? Uh, it definitely has an impact, despite the sort of notion that it, these deals are all cash, which is incorrect. Many okay. of them are, don't get me wrong, but yeah. um, there are still a handful of people that are taking out loans, even if they're just margin loans where they're borrowing against you know their own accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, but the impact is a more indirect one, right? Even if you're not taking out a loan, there's collateral damage, meaning that you know as interest rates go up, and obviously the market has has corrected some here. You know, these people didn't become some of the richest people in the world by accident. They didn't mm. do it by being, you know, um, by frivolous not being, and yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> being frivolous. You know, they're more, they're far more frugal. So, um, I, I definitely think psychologically, and that's such a big part of the market. I don't think mm. that gets enough credit. Is that you know, this market is very much psychological. It oftentimes, becomes you know, these self fulfilling prophecies where people talk about the market's going to turn, the market's going to turn. So what happens? People there's sort of a palpable sense of hesitation in the market, and thus the market starts to turn. So um, I, I think that you know, now and for the next couple of years, we're going to continue to see that be a factor. Um, I. Uh, Sorry, I just lost my train of thought there for a second. But um, well, we were just talking about sort of long term, and I, I've noticed you made some posts about policy, which is kind of why I was asking the question: both ah. interest rates, and then what other things are affecting you know the luxury real estate market. Have you, by the way, have you seen a lot of correction? The price has been coming down. Just curious. No, where, and, 
And thank you. That's exactly yeah. what I was about to say before I yeah. lost my train of thought, which is that, <clears throat> you know, I think what's super interesting right now is that the the correction took on a totally different form than what most people are expecting. When people say the market's going to crash or the market's going to correct, I think people inevitably or automatically go to thinking about home values, mm. right? Home values are going to go down. And that's not what happened. What happened, obviously, is the volume of transactions went down significantly. And even though there's fewer buyers in the market by virtue of higher interest rates, there's even fewer sellers in the market because they don't want to give up these historically low interest rates that they have, mm. or do they want to sell in a down market? And Keith, to your point in the luck space, they don't have to, right? right. Their motivation is very low. So what you ha essentially have is a stalemate. And the only silver lining in that stalemate is that it stabilized home prices. Mm. We're down maybe 5 to 10% which in the grand scheme of things is yeah, it's not, not it's a lot. Yeah. 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 Especially after yeah. the run up we've had for the three year, for three sure. or four yeah. years prior. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is the question. Well, Take us a, home, Keith. Take yeah, us home. This is a twist on the question that I always ask. I'll give you the question. Ooh, I always, yes, I, I, I'll tell you the question I always ask, but I'm going to twist it for you and ask a slightly different one. So we try to bring it really tactical to someone practicing residential real estate. So the question I usually ask is, if you're a real estate agent, what's the one thing you do or add to your business today to make a difference? But you are a real estate agent, so I don't have to play that game. I'll ask it slightly differently. If I wanted to get into luxury and I wanted to grow my average sales price for my business, what's the one thing that you would recommend I do or add to my business today to start to make a difference? Good question. Well, <laughs> one thing you could do is align yourself with someone is, that is doing the kind of business you aspire to do mm. and just go, you know, go shadow them, go support them, go, you know, offer to work with them for free, do whatever yeah. you can that puts you in those circles because it gets you in the game. Find a mentor, uh, right. right? Find a mentor. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Find a mentor. Find someone that's doing the kind of business you want to do in the areas you want to do it. And, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants until you become one yourself. And even if you couldn't find someone in your area, right? Like if you went and shadowed the best luxury agent in, I don't know, pick your city that where they might be, look, I live in Northern California. You live in Southern California. You're probably much less risk averse to me coming and shadowing you for a couple of days, right? Uh, sure. And learning from you. So even if you can't do it in your own local pocket, uh, huh. that mentorship concept, I think is really, really smart. So that's a great call. Yeah. yeah, I also heard out all that. Join a wine club because I like I like wine just like John does. So I'm no, like, so basically, just figure out how to join people. <laughs> that's because you like to hear what you want to hear. That yeah, thank you. That is true. Comments. Yeah, that, that is what I was trying to convey. Thank you for reading. Yeah, I, I just wanted to reiterate that. So. Yeah, my bad, I John. Got uh, right. Thanks so much for being here. I know you are a very busy guy, and yeah. uh, I know our listeners will appreciate hearing from you know somebody who does it at a level most people honestly never will. Yeah, um, lots of really you. great advice. So, thank you for pulling pulling back the curtain too, the way you did, and really totally. like letting us on the inside of what it's like. So appreciate I, it. I can see this is fun, and I'm looking forward to seeing you on the the next uh, episode of on Netflix and be yeah. like, I know that guy. So <laughs> awesome! Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Yes, we want you to subscribe to this podcast, but the good news is, if you subscribe now, you'll never have to subscribe to any other podcast ever again. 